Bibles or the Bibles provided for you in the pews. Kiki, you can always use rubber bands in the past. Time. Uh, to Psalm 23. No, Psalm 125. No, you can read Psalm 23 if you want. It's a lovely psalm. We all know it, but that's not the reading for this morning. It's Psalm 125, and you'll find that on page 572 of the Pew Bibles. First, let's pray. Speak, O Lord. We are your servants. We're listening. May we hear your voice. May we be transformed. In Christ's name. Amen. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time on and forevermore. The scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, so that the righteous might not stretch out their hands and do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts, but to those who turn aside to their own crooked ways. The Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace and be upon Israel. The word of the Lord. And from James's epistle, the epistle of James, uh, we're reading verses uh, chapter two. Let me let me shorten this lesson just a little bit. We're going to read uh, from verse fourteen through seventeen. James chapter two. 14 through 17. You'll find that on page 230 of your few Bibles. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. And from the Gospel according to St. Mark, in chapter 7, beginning at verse 24. From there he set out and went away, this Jesus, to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there, yet he could not escape notice. But a a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre, and went by way of Sidon, towards the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. He took him aside in private, away from the crowd, put his fingers into his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephrathah, 
that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one. But the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, let, me, let me ask you all a question. And this might, for some of you, take, uh, take you back just a, just a wee bit into your, into your childhood. For some, this may be current. Um, how many of you are or, or have been or are used to, in some way, shape or form, uh, saying a, a prayer before your meal? Well, quite a few of you. Okay. So, let, let's think about this. Um, go back... To your childhood, for those of you that are adults, and obviously some of you are children still, and you maybe do say a blessing before your meal, um, but for those of you that are adults, think back to your childhood. What are some of the graces, some of the blessings that you said uh, before a meal? Do you remember some of the prayers that you said, or even say today before a meal? Okay, go ahead. God is great, God is good, and we thank him for our food. That's one that I think is fairly common, isn't it? A lot of people may say something like that. Are there any other uh, blessings that we say? Yes. That's too long for me to repeat back. Yes. There's, there's one as well. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any others? Back here again. Thank you. Thanks. Oh, there you go. Thanks for the crap. Yes. Did Bob hear that? Okay. Are there any others? Yes. Callum, go ahead. Oh well, so what Callum's, what Callum's in is a Superman tune, right? Um, we, we did this at camp, didn't we? Thank you God for giving us food. Thank you God for giving us food. So we did, we did that in the Superman tune. Are there any other blessings that anyone, anyone says? You can try that at home. For the food that we eat, for the people that we meet, thank you God. Amen. Is that right? Johnny Appleseed, awesome. Yeah, John. Lovely, yes. Karen? Lovely. A couple more. Any others? Or are we there? Has everything been familiar? Everything been used? Yeah? Well, there's one that I used to say when, when I was growing up, and this we said this before every meal. Um, and it was very simple. God bless our food and make us good for Jesus' sake. Amen. That was our blessing. I'm going to ask you another question. 
Some of you remember the blessings that, that, that you said. Do you remember how you said those blessings? When it was time to give thanks, what was the manner in which you typically, as a child perhaps, more common, what was the manner in which you said those blessings? Oh, boring, okay. <laughs> You'd hold hands, okay, okay. What was the manner in which you said the blessing? Yes. A little too fast. A little too fast. You were hungry and you wanted to get it over and done with. That's how we said it. My mum would say, Ian, say the grace. And I would go, the little music is given. Try and say it as quickly as I possibly could, just to get it done, just to get on with what was important, to get on with the meal. It was just cursory words. They meant nothing. Didn't even think about what the words meant. Didn't even care what the words meant. It was just something that we said before a meal and it served no other purpose than that it was said very thoughtlessly and very unreflectively I wonder when we think about our, our worship week by week there are certain things that we repeat week by week week after week after week we say the same words again and again our Father, who art in heaven. The Lord's Prayer, we say that every single Sunday. I wonder if we ever, uh, John Liggett and I actually had a conversation about that a couple of weeks ago. Do we ever really pause and consider what it is that we're saying when we say the Lord's Prayer? But there's another piece that we say week after week in our context and in, in so many other churches they say this week after week. It's the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I wonder how many of us just say the words because we memorized them years and years ago, or how many of us say the words because they're, they're simply there in the bulletin and we don't pause and we don't think about the words that we are saying. The Apostles' Creed is in a nutshell our faith. It states very clearly, in, very, in a very, very simple format, what it is that we believe. And sometimes we say things without thinking. And sometimes we say things without reflecting. Like, I do this at home all the time. Callum up there, he's a little bit of a chatterbox. And he'll go on. And, and I think all of us who are parents have been in this type of situation. He'll be talking, he'll be chatting away, he'll be... Saying something, and then he'll ask me a question. Dad, can I do, can I watch? Can I do X? Can I do Y? Can I have a snack? Can I have another snack? And I get into the place where it's like, sure, yeah, yeah, okay, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. And I'm just saying yes. And I've no idea what it is I'm saying yes to. How many of us are, are guilty of that? A few of us, once in a while, we're guilty of just because they chat so much and you forget. You're not even thinking, you're not even paying attention. I do that, we all do that. And I think sometimes we do that in the, in the course of our worship as well. We don't pay attention. We just say 
what we're supposed to say without reflecting on it. So over the next few weeks, we're going to spend some time, and it's not going to be a lot of time in worship, but we're going to look at it in, in, in the Thursday morning Bible study, and we're going to look at it uh, on Sunday mornings as well over the next eight weeks. We're going to spend some time looking at the words of the Apostles' Creed. So when we look at them and when we think about them, we're reflecting on those words and we're able to say to ourselves, hmm, yes, I absolutely believe that. When I say I believe in whatever happens next in the creed, we can say that with with a great degree of certainty or as we read through the creed, as we ponder the words of the creed, we may say to ourselves, hmm, not entirely sure about that. I don't really know what that means. I don't know if I understand that. I don't know if I even believe that. But week after week we've said those words, haven't we? Unreflectedly. We've not even pondered them. So that's one thing that we're going to do. And as we do that, I hope that we see that the creeds reflect to us a number of things about our faith. The creed teaches us about the Trinity. The Creed teaches us about the Incarnation. God becoming flesh, incarnate in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. The Creed teaches us, the Creed teaches us about the forgiveness of sins. The Creed teaches us about the Holy Spirit. The Creed teaches us about the Church. And the Creed teaches us about the hope of The Christian. That's all contained in these very, very few words. So the creed is there to help us understand what's at the core in terms of our belief, anyway, of being a Christian. The other thing that the creed does is it reminds us that we are not just a little group of people gathered here today. I think it's very, very tempting. Uh, for the church to think about, uh, to, to become very insular, okay? For us to think, well, we are the church. This is what the church is. Or even to think about the church uh, and the future of the church. But when we gather together week by week in a context of worship, and when we uh, uh, rehearse, if you like, the words of the Apostles' Creed, what that does is it reminds us that we are not just a little group of people gathered here on Sunday mornings in this place today and everything that happens next it reminds us that we are part of the church of Jesus Christ of all times and of all places it takes us back to the beginning it's called the Apostles Creed not because the Apostles wrote the Creed the Creed itself was not finally formulated until the, until the 4th, 5th, 6th century. It took a while for the creed to come into being. There was an early form of the creed that was, that was very, very similar to what we have. But the full version of the creed was probably about the 6th century before we, we had, we have what we, what we now have. But it's called the Apostles' Creed because it encapsulates the teaching of the Apostles. Everything that we read in the creed, we can trace back to the, to the scriptures. The teaching 
of the apostles. It takes us back to that. So it reminds us not uh, not just that we believe what we believe in this moment, but that we stand, if you will, on the shoulders of giants. We're here today because of all that's happened, not just in our history and Pluckerman, but because of all that's happened in the history of the church. And we are part of that great family of faith. Now, so those are two things that are important for us to, to think about as we, as we approach the future. There's another, there's another part to it as well. And this is where James's letter comes in. I know this kind of seems like a tenuous link, but, but it's not really. One of the things that it says in the, in the letter that we read from James, there's a little passage uh, the, the, in, in verse 14 uh, that, that we read just a few moments ago. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save them? It's no use for us simply to recite or rehearse the words of the Apostles' Creed. That in itself means absolutely nothing. Just because I say something does not make that something true. I am a world-class soccer player. There, I've said it. Just because I said it doesn't make it true. I make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year playing the bagpipes. There, I've said it. Doesn't make it true. I'm the best pastor you've ever had at the Pluckerman Presbyterian Church. There, I've said it. Doesn't, well, maybe this one is true. It doesn't make it true. Just because you say something doesn't make it true. And that's one of the keys in this, in this passage that we need to understand. If, says James, someone says they have faith, but that faith is not put into action, then that faith is dead. What that means is, in the context, they never had faith in the first place. It was empty words. The book of James is all about not simply saying that we believe something. But it's saying that we believe something and putting that belief, putting that faith into practice. We talked about that to some extent last week. We're a church that is becoming more and more clear on who we are. And on what we believe. And on who we believe. But more than that. We are a church who is. We're not simply satisfied with saying things. About ourselves. But we put those things into practice. That's what God's calling us to. That's what we're called to through this. The words of this letter. What good is it if you say to your brother or sister, be well. I hope you have plenty food. I hope you have something to tide you over to the next day. Then we turn away and walk away. That's no use at all. But we're not the church that does that, are we? And I want to encourage you in that. I want to encourage us all in that. We are a church that sees the need 
And we say, how can I meet that need? We see people come here week after week. We see people phone up day after day and they say, my loved one's sick. I need X. We don't have that right now, but let's see if we can get that. We're there for you. And we meet those needs. We open our doors for IHM. We do all manner of things through, uh, through missions locally, regionally, nationally, internationally. We're a church that lives what we believe. So over the next few weeks, let's focus in on who it is that we are and what it is that we believe. So that in focusing on what we believe, God can take that and God can work within us more and more. And so that our belief, our faith, can be put into practice. And we can truly, more and more, become the people that God has called us to be. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.